Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Annie Jung, one of the hardest working women behind the scenes of a major brand. Annie Jung is the marketing manager of DVD Netflix which amazingly is a team of one, and she is constantly coming up with great ideas for engagement, both for the site's official blog, as well as through a variety of fun DVD chats on Twitter. Additionally, a lover of good books with, under normal circumstances, a passion for travel, Annie enjoys quality scotch, fine cheese, and finding new films to add to her DVD Netflix queue. With a special love of period pieces or costume dramas, I can't wait to chat with her today about a handful of her favorite films from the genre. Welcome, Annie, to Watch with Jen and Friends. I want to thank you so much for doing this. So how are you doing and how are you adapting to pandemic life? Because California is back on house arrest now, right? Yeah, we all just had our phones buzzing with the Amber Alert sound, but it was really, you know, telling us we're on lockdown again. And if you're <laughs> more than 150 miles away, you have to quarantine for two weeks. Oh, wow. Hey, you know, there's no real way to enforce it so we'll see what happens as you know restless will travel for the holidays yeah I sure hope not I know you wish they wouldn't but anyway I'm glad that they're locking you down to try to curb some of it because that's important here in Arizona they don't like to enforce much here so it's a whole other problem but I hope that helps you guys out there Yeah, when we were going through Arizona on our road trip like a month ago, there there were a few spots where we got some looks for wearing a mask. Oh, really? No, that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Uh, I mean, we we did not gather, but my parents did drop off some, you know, Thanksgiving side dishes. And we said, oh, nice. Yeah, said hello through the door. That's good. Yeah, it was kind of a different Thanksgiving. It was low-key, but I think nice. Good. Well, one question I've never asked you before, because you always make it look so easy, but what is it like being the marketing manager for DVD Netflix, and how annoying is it to be constantly asked if Netflix still mails DVDs? Oh, boy. Um. <laughs> It, it, it definitely ebbs and flows how funny or how annoying it can be when, yeah. you know, one of our posts gets a bit more traction and then people that don't follow us see it on their timeline and they'll jump in with, you know, what's a DVD? Ha ha ha. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I've never heard that original joke before. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's still good because sometimes those people that see it actually sign up because they say wait I thought you guys stopped doing that years ago Mm -hmm. and they check out our library and they realize you guys have way more than any of the streaming services why wouldn't I be doing this and then they're a member again so that's good 
It balances out. I was trying to think when I first signed up, I want to say like 2000 or 2001. And it was various email addresses. Sometimes it was in like my mom's name and maybe my dad's. And then it would go to mine, even though I was the one who was always like shuffling the films in and out of the queue. But I think, yeah, better part of the last 20 years I've been a member. So I have no idea how many discs I would have rented at this point. You can, um, well, yeah, if you remembered all your logins, you could look at all the rental histories and add them up, but you probably don't have those anymore. No, I would have to think about some of those early outdated email addresses to see if they're there. Yeah. When did you first sign up? Believe it or not, I did not know that Netflix still had the DVD service. Hey, you until, know it now. Uh, the job listing. Oh, wow. And my family had never actually had a Netflix account streaming or DVDs. So okay. this um, this really shook up my world because, you know, um, I love classic films, but it was really hard to watch them. Like usually growing up, I'd have to rent them from the library. Yeah. Or, you know, if we were feeling particularly extravagant one month, you know, rent it from Amazon or what have you. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great. So this was a whole new world for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just feels like you were meant to be there for sure, because you have such a good passion for movies. Well, I know you love all kinds of movies, of course, but you have a particular fondness for period pictures or costume dramas. I was thrilled when you suggested five of your favorites that we can go into today. I thought maybe chronologically, but we can reference them at different times. So the first film that you said got you into these movies was Alfonso Cuaron's 1995 gorgeous version of A Little Princess. So what is it about the genre you love so much and how does his film bring it into or bring it to life for you? Uh, the Little Princess. I rented the VHS from the library when I was probably seven. Um, uh -huh. And, you know, for kids, most things you're watching, it's it's animations, it's like 2D animation, stop motion or anything like that. And I wasn't really watching that much live action things, except okay. whatever Disney Channel Nick Jr. shows I was watching. And I had read, you know, the children's illustrated version of A Little Princess, and I loved it. And then watching it come to life as a movie, I was enthralled. Um, I mean, first of all, seven-year-old me immediately coveted Sarah's hair, those gorgeous curls. Yes. Um, <laughs> How on earth, will, when I grow up, could I make my hair look like that someday? You know, I wish, right? <laughs> and then just the setting, like, you know, it starts off in India, and it looks gorgeous. It's exotic. She's, you know, there's an elephant swimming next to her. And I was like, wow, that looks wonderful. And then it gets to, you know, the boarding school, which for her was not, you know, exactly a happy place. No. But for me, um, I also loved, you know, an Ameri American girl, um, Samantha, and she was also like a, a Victorian era girl. My favorite, too. I had the doll. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you get it. Um, yes. 
but seeing that boarding school, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I could go to a boarding school and wear those gorgeous green uniforms. Like I would love <laughs> Latin class and like going on walks with my like boarding school mates and sneaking into each other's rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, no, it's so beautiful too. It's like a storybook come to life basically. You know, what was funny is I had not seen it for years. So when it first started and it began in India, I was like, wait a minute, is this like the secret garden? And then I realized, hello, it's the same author. Yeah, it's based on, yes, Francis Hodgson Burnett's um, A Secret you love it. I That's know, how, so good. I hated talking about that one, but I felt like this one was just a bit more uplifting. Yeah, that's true. I know that one's a heartbreaker. Yes. Yeah. No, they're both so wonderful. I love that you had read the book before you saw the movie. For me, I remember trying to think, I think I probably saw this and then realized we had the book on our shelf somewhere and yeah, then read it there. We had those Barnes and Noble classics edition books with the really cool covers. And so once I got into Jane Austen, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, then I went and read like all the Jane Austens we had. And yeah, so these are really good gateways into literature or vice versa. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. Well, the next two films are Pride and Prejudice and Atonement. They were made by the same talented filmmaker, Joe Wright. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, we're talking about the one that came out in 2005, and Atonement was from 2007. Had you read these books before you saw the movies? Pride and Prejudice, yes. I had read them many many times growing up. One of my favorite (laughs) books. Um, Atonement, I didn't read until after I had seen the movie. Okay. I remember like squeezing in the Ian McEwan book before the press screening for Atonement. And in retrospect, that was probably wrong to do because then I like, I knew what was coming, but it was still a really excellent movie. 2007 was a dark year. I mean, we had like Zodiac and No Country for Old Men and Atonement, just these devastating movies that came out, There Will Be Blood. And, but they were all so good. It was a really good year for film. Gosh, it was a gritty year, wasn't it? It really was. It was like, let's go to the movies for another depressing feature. No, but they were so good at the same time. But I mean, what an amazing like one-two punch for the filmmaker to go from Pride and Prejudice to Atonement. They're both very different. Kira Knightley, I thought that was like, the first time when I realized, wow, what can she really do was both of those films. Yeah, I only known her from Pirates of the Caribbean before that. I know. Yeah. Or like, oh, Love Actually. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So it was really interesting to see what what is it about those movies that speaks to you? Oh, my. um, Well, Pride and Prejudice there's just the whole Austinite culture that you fall into. Yes. You're just sucked in for the rest of your life. I mean, I don't know how many Instagram accounts I follow that are just purely Jane Austen memes. Oh, gosh. Yes. On Thanksgiving, as I was eating mashed potatoes, I made sure to say, what excellent boiled potatoes, an exemplary vegetable, (laughs) because that's what Mr. Collins says. Yes. 
Sense and Sensibility, I think, was the one. I had read Pride and Prejudice, but then when I saw the Sense and Sensibility movie, then it was okay. And I immediately went and read Sense and Sensibility. There was that really great adaptation, the BBC one, which I know is a a favorite of Raquel Stetcher. I think that's my favorite as well. But I, I love them all, basically, all the different versions. They all have something going for them. This one is just so beautiful and the score is so good Dario Marianelli does the score for both these movies and one of the things I loved about this edition of Pride and Prejudice is not anything against the BBC it's a great I mean I love it I watch it all the time but you know nobody's wrinkled everything is clean and pristine in this one you know you see some greasier hair or you see dresses that look like they've been worn a few times or chipped paint on the house it looks more lived in i i also love the bbc version i mean that's yes og pride and prejudice exactly yeah exactly i did appreciate that the 2005 version just had a little more character i think that's a good way to put it yeah yeah, you really kind of got a sense, like, before you even ran in and, you know, they had their argument about Mr. Bingley, you know right away what they're going for with what this family is probably like, because you see the the rooms with what it looks like when so many girls live under the same roof, which I thought was a nice touch. And then Atonement is definitely a different movie when you watch them back to back, but I would say another masterpiece by the same filmmaker. Definitely a masterpiece. I remember watching it in the theaters and I was, what, 14 at the time? Okay. Oh, it it really hit, you know? I was like, this is gorgeous and devastating. I'm feeling the full spectrum of emotion. (laughs) I cried several times throughout that movie. I know. Yes. Like, I don't want to get into too spoilery of territory, but the end with like Bryony when it flashes into for those who haven't seen the film I should say it's about two sisters growing up on an estate it starts in the 1930s and it's like right before World War II and one accuses the boy that grew up with them the son of was it the kitchen housekeeper the housekeeper's son of a horrible crime that he did not commit and he is involved with the older sister and played by Kira Knightley the younger girl who's phenomenal in the movie was Saoirse Ronan funny thing because of seeing her in atonement I hated seeing Saoirse Ronan's face for the (laughs) next several years until I pretty um pretty much until I saw Brooklyn, which is another one of the films we're going to be talking about. And then I was with her. Yeah, it was. It did take a while. You were like mad at her for bringing this horrible person to life. I mean, she's a kid. I shouldn't be that harsh on her. As an adult, you're like, what are you thinking? But but it is a little girl who is a little confused by some of the things she's seeing and even after she realizes she did make an error, I think at first it did seem like she was trying to do the right thing. And then finally it did sink in and she didn't really um, voice the correction. And so it does 
does hit you very hard. But the film in the future, she's played by Romola Gary, who I always thought it was Romala Garai for the longest time. And I had to like watch this video of her pronouncing her name like over and over again. And I'm like, Romola Gary? Like, really? I don't know. But something like that, essentially. Um, she plays Bryony as an older woman, and then it's Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, I mean, my God. Uh, amazing people in this movie. And James McAvoy is the young man. And it is, like, I'm going to get emotional here if I go into it too much, but when we see close to the end of the movie and what you hope happened and then yeah the wool is over your eyes they pull it back and reveal what really happened and like i remember the audience just breaking down in like collective sobs essentially oh absolutely that was me when i was re-watching it recently i know yeah (laughs) it's so the whole time i mean they they did it so effectively because they weren't trying to make it overly sentimental they weren't trying to tell you you should feel devastated right now they did it just the perfect way where they're showing exactly what happened and the gravity of what happened is what hits you yes oh that's a really good way of putting it for sure yeah it's interesting that you chose these because in September I was sent a box set from Focus Features and it had like I don't know if it was, oh, it was 10 of their movies. And two of the ones in it were Pride and Prejudice and Atonement. And so I revisited them not too long ago and wrote about them. So this was a really just serendipitous topic. I thought it was like, did Annie, was she closely paying attention here or is she just that good? But no, it was really good. Can I just say, I'm super envious that you got such a box. That sounds exactly like my cup of tea, but... Oh, okay. really? No, yes. I who I am. Oh, no. Ah, you should put it on your Christmas list. I mean, there's so much good stuff in there. There was, like, On the Basis of Sex, uh, Brokeback Mountain. I mean, just a lot of really good movies. So, A Lost in Translation is in there. I mean, just, you know, like, some of their bigger hits. Mm. Yeah. And then a few were like, really? They chose that? But (laughs) most of them are like, you know, they're top of the line titles for sure. And before we do return to Saoirse Ronan for the last film, chronologically, we're now at Elizabeth the Golden Age, which was also released in 2007. That was Shaker Kapoor's uh, follow-up to his 1998 critically acclaimed film Elizabeth, which was the breakout role for Kate Blanchett. I thought both of those movies went really well together. The first is very dark. And while I wouldn't say this one is like a light film, especially when you contrast it with Pride and Prejudice, it is a lighter one than the first Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. This was, yeah, the second time I saw it. I remember liking the first one much more when I saw it the first time back in 2007 or 2008. But this time, I would say I like them about the same. They're different. So how about you? What was your take on the films? And what made you choose Elizabeth the Golden Age? I love both of them. And it 
made me so happy to see that the sequel, you know, it was it was not the sophomore slump at all. No, incredible film, great standalone as is. Um, they just did such a good job. Kate Blanchett, oh, she's one of my favorite oh. actresses. Yes, oh, she's one of the best. She has such good range and just. You know, her mannerisms, her tone, her voice, just everything comes together so wonderfully. Um, But I chose Elizabeth the Golden Age just because I was debating between them, but the Golden Age stood out to me more. And it Mm -hmm. was a couple scenes, um, the part where the Spanish ambassadors have turned their backs on her and they're leaving and she shouts at them. I, too, have a... I, too, can command the wind, sir. I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain bare. I thought that was a badass moment. (laughs) And then on the rewatch recently, I cried again during that scene when Walsingham realizes his brother has come to kill him. And instead of of having guards at the ready or someone sneak up on his brother to kill him, he just completely disarms him with love. And he talks about, I remember the day you were born. And, oh, I'm tearing up just Yes, <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it was such a surprising moment and a surprising reaction because I think we're so used to seeing these movies where you're like, oh, they're going to stop him or exactly what you were saying. I, I'm a huge fan of anything related to the Tudors. And oh, I know. Really, you know, any dramatizations of the Tudors involves gratuitous blood, gore, violence, war. So it was quite a departure to see him just say, you know, I I failed you. I didn't love you enough. Mm -hmm. That's what gets his brother. (laughs) I know. Yes. Oh, the movie has really great lines now that you're pointing it out. The one I actually wrote down was... I've given England my life. Must she also have my soul? And yeah, yeah, it was just heartbreaking when you realize at the end of the first movie, she kind of takes away her vanity. She lets her hair get cut and becomes the quote unquote virgin queen and forsakes her love played by Joseph Fiennes. She was not lucky in love because in this one, she's got Clive Owen and he forms an attachment with Abby Cornish, who was really good in this. I thought, I mean, they all were Clive Owen is also always good, but Abby Cornish was really good. She did a great job as well. Yes. Speaking of her, you know, I, I going back to the rather superficial, but she was, so pretty and in the costumes they wear throughout the film oh my god yes it is gorgeous i think that one uh best costume design i believe yeah yeah i know for me i'm in i'm such a sucker for if i see a trailer and they're wearing hoop skirts sign me up (laughs) they're sky high wigs i'll watch it like and this just checked all of those boxes Yeah, absolutely. It was so much fun being able to revisit them, especially because like this time of year, I watch Carol all the time anyway. And so it was nice to see like the movie that first made us only talk about Cate Blanchett. I remember like seeing this and hearing about it when I was in film school. I was 
maybe like 17 and I had not seen it yet and would hear like the professors or other students, she was all they talked about was her performance and how everybody needed to see this. And then when I finally did, I realized, yeah, that's why they wouldn't shut up about her. And we haven't since. And then, of course, there's Brooklyn from director John Crowley from 2015. It was adapted by Nick Hornby from Colm, and I might be saying this wrong. Is it Chwaben or Chwaben's novel? It was the most recent movie from this list. And besides a small scene near the end of Atonement the most modern of the period films because it was set in the 1950s. When I had Tomris Lafley on earlier in the year, she referred to this movie and how much it meant to her as a Turkish immigrant who came to the U.S. And when I watch it, I think of some of my ancestors coming over from like Germany and Italy. I think it's just a universal story for everyone. So what was it about Brooklyn that appealed to you? I mean, yes, starting off with the superficial, oh, the wardrobes, how I coveted all of her ensembles. I know, we're we're both skirt and dress people anyway, or at least that's what I've gotten from your feeds. I am very much a skirt and dress person. I do not own a single pair of jeans. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. I do own, I think I have like two pairs of jeans, but mostly though, it's like dresses and skirts. So I'm right there with you. In this movie, just the costuming is so gorgeous. And one thing that Thomas actually pointed out that made me like pay attention to it a little bit closer this time was how when she comes to America, she wears the same outfits again and again, but she sort of repurposes things like wears a sweater with a different top or because she only has like x number of clothing items and so it wasn't like you know a television show where they like never repeat the same wardrobe and you're thinking does this woman own like 75 coats but it's not like that at all so I did appreciate that level of detail. I wish we still dress like that. I wish, you know, yeah. to the grocery store meant you put on a smart hat, even those wrist length gloves for class, a nice well-tailored coat. Like people just carried themselves with so much more dignity and I feel like that it it improves your mindset as well. Just knowing you look good, you feel good. It's like it's like a matter of respect almost. Like I'm going out. Yeah. I'm, and decent and respectful so will other people that's exactly how one of my favorite professors put it when I was younger because people would say you know you're always wearing dresses and stuff to class and she said I am showing respect for my position and for you guys for being here and so it's a way of showing respect and I always kind of took that into my own life and I mean, not that our parents really let us like leave the house wearing junk or anything. My, we went to um, like orchestra hall and plays and stuff and wore nice clothes. But I really respected the way she let it translate to the everyday, because here in Arizona, it's like the casual capital of the world in Phoenix. I used to work at the Phoenix Theater, which is a playhouse. I mean, 
they also screen some events. I guess it's where like Steven Spielberg first showed his movies when he was young. Yeah, but it was a playhouse when I worked there. And we would see people coming on Saturday nights and stuff wearing like socks and sandals. I mean, some people dressed up, don't get me wrong. But a majority of the audience was very casual in shorts. And it's like, man, come on, you guys, we can do this. Let's dress up. But I'm a nerd. Even if you don't have, like, you can still put on some nice stuff. Yeah. Or look a little bit presentable. I understand money. Like, you don't need to shop Gucci or anything like that. You can get nice stuff even at Goodwill. My gosh. Yeah. Well, I've so many good things from Goodwill. I know, right? That's where we used to, like, the woman I worked with who was in the wardrobe department she would go there and find like all this great stuff. Yeah. So now that we're solving problems world, everybody needs to dress up. No, I'm just kidding. And Samantha was the best American girl doll. No. (laughs) I actually ended up getting the Molly doll when I finally saved up to have enough to be able to afford one. She was good. I did like Molly a lot. Her stories I think were maybe more interesting or there was maybe more going on I love how that series has kind of found every girl like every new generation of girl has sort of found their own characters I mean they need more characters but yeah it's a good way to learn about history and also watching period movies of course (laughs) yeah (laughs) so what about I know those were the ones we were kind of wanted to focus on but What about other favorite period movies that you just always enjoy or want to recommend? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I sent you that huge list. That's right. Yeah. Narrow down to five movies. And, um, oh, it it came down to choosing between Gladiator and Atonement. Oh, really? That's an interesting choice. Yeah. Oh, Gladiator is one of my favorites. I, I mean, I quote it all the time. Uh, like, <laughs> are you not entertained, Annie? No. <laughs> oh man! But you know, sometimes I'll be doing something hard, or my boyfriend will be doing something hard, and I'll just lean up to him and I'll say, "What we do in this life, eternity." <laughs> I'm sorry, I started laughing right away. <laughs> but yes, that's great. You kind of psych each other up that way. Yeah. I know that movie is like infinitely quotable and just such good performances too. And I love the film score. Yeah. Was that Hans Zimmer? I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I should have known. I think Ridley Scott uses him a lot. You know what I was going to ask you when I was looking at these, this is an embarrassing thing, but I have never seen Joe Wright's Anna Karenina. Did you? And what did you think of that? You know, it was gorgeous to look at. Definitely. But I didn't have much of a lasting impression from it. Okay. Yeah. That might be a reflection of the film. I just personally, that story doesn't resonate with me just because it's so much cheating and like you're in this mess but it's really your own doing and yeah (laughs) it's a frustrating story so maybe that's why but I just remember there are a couple times like oh wow that dress is gorgeous that jewelry is amazing but the film itself didn't really stick with me that'll happen I mean you have to kind of 
everybody brings their life and their thoughts to things. That's why we all respond to different movies. But yeah, I can see that with that storyline anyway, not really pulling you in. Did you ever see the newer version of Far From the Madden Crowd? With, um, oh goodness, what's her Terry name? Mulligan? Mulligan. No, so I didn't. Yeah, I think you will love that one. I remembered seeing it, but it didn't really, that one didn't leave, like, the, I remember I liked it, but couldn't remember much about it, and then stumbled on it earlier in the year, and I was like, you know, I could watch it again, and I just loved it. It was, like, instantly became one of my favorites, so I would recommend that one, too. You know, I think it is in my queue. It's just somewhere in the deep hundreds. I know. How many do you have in your Netflix DVD queue? Uh, you know, mine is pretty solid, solidly always riding around 480, 490. Me too. Okay. I feel better because I'm usually like right up to that 500 line. And yeah. We are normal. Apparently a lot of people tow this line. Um, yeah. You know, because you're, you're watching them as fast as you can, but about more that you're just adding as fast as you can too. I know that happens. Yeah, I told Brian Sauer that my trick used to be um, trying to add them before they were even in the system, so they were, had just been saved like for future use. Because I found that I don't know if this still is the thing, but you could then have like 520 in there because you would hit 500 and all those saved would just jump in there when they're ready. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden I had these extra movies and I felt like I was getting away with something. I'm gaming the system, Annie. Oh no. I have to go to DVD Netflix jail. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, geez. Yeah. What, what other ones were on my list? There was um, Dr. Zhivago. Oh, gorgeous film. Yeah. The oh. music. Oh my gosh. The music I also love. Um, I was at the Hollywood Bowl a few years ago before a performance, and the orchestra starting playing the theme to Dr. Zhivago. I started freaking out. My friends yeah. I know I was talking about, but I was like, shh, everyone, shh, I just need to enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone shut up for a minute. I know, I tried to learn to play Lara's theme when I played the piano growing up, and I sucked. I mean, I played off and on all the way up through college, like, I would stop, and then I would go back, and that was always kind of like the white whale. Like, I want to get good so I can play Lara's theme. I almost like the music more than the movie, which is kind of weird to say, but I do. But, um, I mean, the film is good, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, I was obsessed with that. So I probably would have been a puddle next to you, and we would have been like, shut up, everyone. <laughs> It's funny um, you talk about learning the theme on piano because you mentioned the uh, film score for Pride and Prejudice and mm -hmm. Dawn, which is the opening. Beautiful. Song. Yes. I tried to learn that on piano, but the part where it gets really fast, I always stumbled over that. I know the part you're talking about. Yeah, I know. And the score for Atonement is one of my favorites, too. I oh, love the way he uses typewriters. Uh, it was the Atonement film score, A Beautiful Mind, and, um, oh gosh, there was one other one, but they were my constant, like, my everyday repeats while I was studying or doing homework. Yeah, so good. I remember 
trying to think from that era. I also really liked the score for The Painted Veil, which is another... Yeah. I love The Painted Veil, and, like, hardly yes. any seen it. I that- know. I thought you were going to be like, what is that, Jen? Like, what is Jen talking about now? But I'm so glad. I got a crush on Edward Norton because of that film, and um, I also started crushing on Naomi Watts, and started crushing on the bob haircut because I was like, God, she rocks yes. that. Yeah, I know. Everybody in that movie. Wasn't Leif Schreiber in it too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like the most beautiful people. It's just, yeah. That's another one that's kind of touches your heart. It's funny you got a crush on Edward Norton then because for me it was, boy, like in the late 90s. He was kind of ubiquitous. He was in, like, every independent movie. So my friends used to joke that when I wanted to blow somebody off and I pretended I had a fake boyfriend, I would just describe Edward Norton. And that way I had, like, a mental picture. Like, yeah, no, here's what he does, you know. It was hilarious, yes. And they're like, just leave Jen Edward Norton thing. She's taken. (laughs) Don't don't try. Yeah, yeah, don't even mess with that. Yeah, that's a really good movie, too. I didn't use, um, like, TV shows or series, because okay. I thought, you know, we should be talking about film, but I do want to give a shout-out to Anne of Green Gables, the Megan Follows version, because... My favorite. Oh, uh, that, that will forever be Anne to me. Um, yeah. I know I work for Netflix, technically, but um, I, 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 can't, I couldn't really get into... And with an E. I thought it was me. Okay. Yeah, the Megan Follows version is so good. One with uh, Ramola Gary. It was based on a book by the woman that wrote 101 Dalmatians. I Capture the Castle. Did you see that? I have not actually seen it. I just knew what you were talking about um, because Megan wrote the piece about I Capture the Castle. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that one. I just love that film. It is so beautiful. That's another one we're all recommended. And I have yet to have somebody go, like, why did you make me watch it? People really got into that one. I've had even guys who normally aren't really a girl coming of age movie person be like, that movie was great. Is that so- with um, young Henry Cavill? He was. He is in there, and he'll break your heart. He's really good. Yeah. Oh, Henry Cavill. He can break my heart any day. <laughs> I know, and Henry Thomas is in there, and Mark Lucas. And yeah, it's, it's a good one. Rose Byrne, mm-hmm. when she was younger. Yeah. Do you know, I had no idea that Rose Byrne was from Australia until this year. I don't know why. I thought she was only British. I, I no didn't know that either. I, I just thought yeah. it was British. Yeah, so that kind of surprised me because I was watching this Australian movie called Two Hands that was re- recommended by my friend Blake Howard. And when we were talking about it after, all of us were like, she's Australian? Like, where did that come from? Like, yes, she is. <laughs> Had no idea. She can do a million accents, though. So were there any others before we go that you would like to recommend? They can be just things you've watched recently that aren't even period movies. Um, well, just thinking back to my massive list that I was trying to narrow down, there was 
Belle, which I loved. Such a good film. Yeah. It was gorgeous, but I mean, it also had such a good message and it was based on history. Directed by women. It was Gugu Mbatha Ra, right? Uh That was the first thing I ever saw her in. She is such a good actress, too. Yeah. Um, What was there? The Theory of Everything. That was in the focus box set. We need to get this on your list, or I need to talk to your boyfriend. He needs to write this down. (laughs) (laughs) The cinematography. And again, the score. The score. Yeah. It's kind of a crucial ingredient to a lot of these. And it's also the trailer music, too. Because, um, like, I haven't even watched any of these trailers in years. But when I was in high school, I used to have the Pride and Prejudice trailer on loop because I loved that music. Yeah. And it's called PM's Love Theme, but it's not actually in Love Actually. Oh, really? Interesting. So eventually I was able to track down like a pirated version of it so I could watch it without the Pride and Prejudice, you know, talk. Yeah, Yeah, you need to have the right music for the movie people. I remember there was a period in the 90s where they used the theme from The Last of the Mohicans in like every trailer. I think it was, uh, and then Legends of the Fall, which has another really good score hear that again they just kept using these these movies music and same thing with um my name is lincoln from the island soundtrack because i think actually uh elizabeth the golden age used that in their trailer too did they really that's so funny all these movies seem to have in common is great soundtracks cinematography costumes i'm not just in it for the superficial aesthetic no not at all great performances Great, great acting. Yeah, and usually they give women something to do than be the wife or the girlfriend. Isn't that sad? And it's weird. But in, like, modern movies, we have less to do than in some of these period films, I think. Yeah, that's true. Like, in a lot of period pieces, they're characters in their own right. They're not just, you know, a write-off so-and-so's wife, so-and-so's girlfriend. Yeah. if whatever yeah exactly she isn't like the nagging wife in two scenes in the movie she is queen elizabeth no (laughs) yes well this was so much fun annie i really appreciated this and i know you were nervous about it but you were great i had so much fun talking to you i feel like it helped that this was something i'm just like yes Let's talk about it. Yeah, you're passionate about it and you know a lot about it. Great observations. It was cool. Thank you so much. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.